Hello and welcome to History Hooked. Alexander the Great, Episode 2. During our previous discussion, we extensively covered Alexander's early life and his tutelage under Aristotle. We also addressed the assassination of his father, Philip II, by his own bodyguard, Pausinius. Furthermore, we explored the details of Alexander's rise to power and the circumstances that led to it along with his initial Balkan campaigns. In this episode, we will explore the incredible journey that led to the conquest of Thebes and Athens and the remarkable achievements that made it all possible. First off, let's begin with the city of Thebes. And we touched on this last week, but I will just very briefly give you a recap. The history of Thebes under Macedonian occupation is a fascinating topic. It all began with the Battle of Charinia, which took place in 338 BCE between Macedonia under Philip II, Alexander's father, and an alliance of city-states led by Athens and Thebes. The outcome of this battle was the defeat and deposition of Thebes as the preeminent city-state of southern Greece. Despite their reluctance, the Thebans had to accept their compulsory membership in the League of Corinth, which had been imposed by Philip II of Macedon. This event marked a turning point in the history of Thebes and had a significant impact on the region for many years to come. When Alexander heard about the rebellion in Thebes, he was immediately worried about the situation. During the beginning of his rule, he had sent armies to negotiate with the city-states and secure their loyalty. However, this time, there were no armies present in southern Greece, and many cities started to reject Macedonian rule. With impressive speed, Alexander made his way south, covering over 300 miles in just two weeks. By the seventh day, he had already reached Thessaly, located in modern-day central Greece, and by the end of the following week, he had arrived in Boeotia. The Thebans were taken back by a sudden proximity, unsure if it was really Alexander himself or one of his generals, such as Antipater. Despite their doubts, Alexander had passed through the challenging pass of Thermopylae without alerting any of the nearby city-states. Upon Alexander's arrival in Boatia, several cities promptly abandoned the cause of Greek independence, leaving Thebes to stand alone. And despite this setback, Athens under the leadership of Demosthenes, a staunch opponent of Philip, vehemently opposed the Macedonian hegemony and voted to support Thebes by providing weapons. However, Athens held back its forces and chose to await further developments. And although the Spartans dispatched troops as far as the Isthmus of Corinth, they too hesitated to confront Alexander. Now it is worth noting that Isthmus of Corinth is a narrow land bridge that links the Peloponnese Peninsula to the rest of Greece, near the city of Corinth, and was considered a significant landmark that separated the Peloponnese from mainland Greece. Although the Theban assembly had been abandoned, they still managed to come together and make a decision to go to war. This decision was made despite the fact that they were going to go up against Alexander's experienced troops, which posed a greater danger to them. Alexander, hesitant to cause destruction to the city, 
approached slowly and set up camp far from the walls, hoping to discourage the resistors. He even offered relatively fair terms, which included sparing all but two leaders of the insurrection, Phoenix and Protetus. However, the Thebans did not agree to these terms and instead demanded that Alexander surrender his top generals, Antipater and Philotas, to them. Alexander's garrison, commanded by Philotas, had fortified themselves against the Thebans in the outer city. And in response to that, the Thebans had put up a series of works surrounding the citadel, in addition to palisades surrounding the city. After three days of preparation, Alexander divided his force in three parts, with the first attacking the palisades and the second forming line against the Theban infantry, while the third was held in reserve to reinforce gaps and press opportune advantages. The Thebans weren't backing down easily. They emancipated their slaves and forced them towards the Macedonian attack on the wall. Their cavalry was placed within the palisades and the Thebans made everything ready to fight to the last man and even put their women and children in the city temples. The scene was chaotic as the Thebans fought fiercely, fearing for their loved ones and homes. The battle was intense and prolonged, with no clear victor in sight. However, Alexander's backup troops eventually turned the tables, and Alexander noticed that the Theban guard had left one of their gates unguarded, and he saw an opportunity to take it. He quickly sent Paradicus's troops to seize the gate and infiltrate the city, where the Thebans then realised that their walls were lost and retreated back into the city. But Philotos's garrison broke out of the citadel, surrounding the Thebans and promptly ending the siege. Now it was unfortunate for the Thebans that they did not accept the offer of surrender from Alexander at the beginning. As punishment for the rebellion, Alexander took severe measures that affected all the inhabitants. In an effort to set an example for other Greek states, Alexander ordered the execution of all male residents and enslaved the women and children. Although the temples, the Cadme Citadel and the House of Pindar were spared due to Pindar's praises of Alexander's ancestor, Alexander I of Macedon, the city was burned to the ground. The devastation of Thebes sent shockwaves throughout Greece causing the execution of dissenting voices and quelling any uprisings before they could even begin. Alexander then set his sights on Athens, a city that had supposedly played a role in siding rebellion among the Thebans and other Greek city-states. Alexander demanded that Athens hand over ten generals, or strategoi in ancient Greek, who had opposed Macedon's interests. However, a man by the name of Demadus managed to convince Alexander to show leniency towards them to which Alexander obliged. With no mercy shown at Thebes, Athens soon bowed down to Alexander's rule, so there was no need to make siege to the city. With the Balkans now fully under the control of Alexander's empire, it was time to head east. This time round, he had his sights set on the Achaemenid Empire, also known as the First Persian Empire. Following his victory in the Persian provincial capital, 
and treasury of Sardis, Alexander journeyed along the Ionian coast, bestowing autonomy and democracy to the cities. In Miletus, a city held by Achaemenid forces, Alexander conducted a tactful siege operation with Persian naval forces lurking nearby. He then waged a successful large-scale siege in Halicarnassus, situated in Caria, forcing his opponents, the mercenary captain Memnon of Rhodes and the Persian satrap of Caria, Orontobatus, to withdraw by the sea. Alexander left the government of Caria to a member of the Hecatomenid dynasty, Ada, a person called Ada, who eventually even adopted Alexander. Now, continuing his conquest into Lycia, a mountainous region and the Pamphylian plain, Alexander aimed to assert his dominance over all the coastal cities and prevent the Persians from having any naval bases there. As he advanced further into Pamphylia, he discovered the absence of any significant ports along the coast, prompting him to head inland. At Tarmosos, he humbled the city of Pisidian city without storming it. In Gordium, the ancient capital of Phrygia, Alexander accomplished the impossible by solving the Cardian knots. That's what they said, they think it was impossible. But this task was only reserved for the future king of Asia. Now, according to legend, Alexander declared that the method of untying the knot was irrelevant and he just proceeded to cut it apart with his sword. Now, moving into the Levant and Syria, we have a place called Isis and Alexander's journey in the spring of 333 BCE led him to cross the Taurus Mountains and into Ilsia, located in southern Turkey. Now, despite a setback due to illness, he continued his march towards Syria, and despite being outnumbered by Darius's massive army, Alexander persevered and emerged victorious in a triumphant battle at Isis. Now, the Battle of Isis is the second most significant battle in Alexander's conquest of Asia, as it marked the first confrontation between Alexander and Darius III. Prior to this, the Hellenic League had already defeated Persian satraps of Asia Minor in the Battle of Granicus, led by Greek mercenary Memnon of Rhodes, as we just discussed a minute ago. Now, because of this, Darius, he now personally in command of his army, gathered reinforcements and led his men in a surprise march behind the Hellenic advance to cut off their line of supply. As a result, Alexander was compelled to countermarch, and the battle then took place near the mouth of the Pinaris River and in the town of Isis. Then we move on to Tyre in Lebanon. Fantastic place. I was there where Alexander actually sieged it and where he built the, I suppose, the man-made bridge with natural stone, sand, and so on. And it is now a peninsula. He actually made that so he could siege the city of Tyre. I was there. It's really good. If anyone's ever been to Lebanon, you surely have been there. Let me know about it. So the siege of Tyre seems to have been a difficult and daunting task. The Macedonian army had a hard time capturing the city, which was a vital coastal base on the Mediterranean Sea due to its location on an island and 
walls that extended right up to the sea. Alexander, however, was not deterred by this challenge. He began by blockading, then besieging Tyre for seven long months. That's right, seven long months. And then resorted to building a causeway and placing siege towers with catapults built on top at the end. It is said that his soldiers discovered that they could not extend the causeway any further due to a steep drop under the surface of the water. And this must have been a cause for concern. But Alexander being Alexander, he managed to breach the fortifications in the end. Now, it's kind of heart-wrenching in a way to learn that Alexander was so infuriated by the Tyrians' defense of their city and the loss of his men that he resorted to destroying half of the city, literally. And according to Arian, the aftermath of the siege saw the massacre of 8,000 innocent Tyrian civilians. Though Alexander showed mercy to those who sought refuge in the temple, including Azimelucus, if I'm saying that right, and his family, as well as many nobles, it is still devastating to know that 30,000 residents and foreigners mainly women and children, were sold into slavery in the end. Now, as we push on to Egypt, we have following his successful conquest of Tyre, Alexander encountered little resistance from several towns on his way to Egypt. However, when he reached Gaza, he faced a formidable challenge as the fortress was heavily fortified and perched atop a hill, necessitating a long siege again. Now, despite his engineers informing him that it would be impossible to overcome the height of the mound, Alexander, one more time, was being Alexander, and he was even more determined to succeed. After three unsuccessful assaults, the stronghold finally fell, but not before Alexander sustained a serious shoulder wound to that. As entire, any men of military age were put to the sword, while women and children were once more sold into slavery. Now, thanks to his conquest of the Persians, Alexander gained control over the vast territories, including Egypt. After his visit to Siwa, Alexander was crowned at the Temple of Pita in Memphis. That's not Memphis, Tennessee, for anyone out there. That is Memphis, yes, in the Middle East. Now, despite being a foreigner who had been absent for a long time, the Egyptian people were accepting of him. And Alexander restored uh, neglected temples and erected new monuments for the Egyptian gods. He even built a chapel for the sacred barge at the Temple of Luxor. Now, during his short stay in Egypt, he reformed the tax system according to Greek models and organized a military occupation. However, he left for Asia in pursuit of the Persians in the early 331 BCE. In 332 BCE, Alexander marched towards Egypt again, where he was warmly welcomed as a liberator. His aim was to establish his power as the rightful heir of the pharaohs. Now, to achieve this, he conducted religious rituals in Memphis and sought guidance from the renowned oracle of Amun-Ra at the Siwa Oasis. During the visit, he was proclaimed as the son of the deity Amun at the oracle of Siwa Oasis, again located in Libyan desert. Now, this revelation led Alexander to acknowledge Zeus Amun as his true father. 
and after his death, he was often depicted with the horns of Amun, symbolizing his divinity. The Greeks interpreted this as a prophecy directed towards all pharaohs by the gods. While in Egypt, Alexander founded Alexandria, which later became the thriving capital of the Ptolemaic kingdom after his passing. Following his death, control over Egypt was taken by Ptolemy I, who was the son of Lagos and the founder of the Ptolemaic dynasty from 305 to 30 BCE. After departing Egypt in 331 BCE, Alexander led his army towards Achaemenid Assyria in Upper Mesopotamia, which is now modern-day northern Iraq. There, he engaged in battle with Darius for the second time at Guagamala, which proved to be the final and decisive encounter between the two. Darius once again fled the field, and Alexander pursued him as far as Arbella. And while Darius fled over the mountains to Hamadan, Alexander seized control of Babylon in that meantime. In 331 BCE, Alexander, leading the army of Macedon, engaged in the Battle of Guagmela, also known as the Battle of Arbella, depending on who you're talking to, against King Darius III and his Persian army. As we also said, this was the fine battle between the two kings and it ultimately led to the complete conquest of the Achaemenid Empire by Alexander. The battle which took place, as we just said, in Guagamilla was a small, loca small village located on the banks of the Bumodis River. And it's actually near, when we say Iraq is actually, to be more precise, it is near Erbil in Iraq. Um, and that was actually indicated by Uban. Urbano Monti's world map as well. Now, a little bit about the battle. Despite being vastly outnumbered, Alexander's army emerged victorious thanks to their clever use of light infantry forces and superior tactics. Historians have noted that the odds were daunting and could have given the most experienced veteran pause. Now, this victory was a decisive one for the League of Corinth and marked the end of the Achaemenid Empire and Darius's reign for good, completely stamped out by Alexander. Now, after leaving Babylon, Alexander traveled to Susa, which was the cap one of the capitals of the Achaemenid Empire. He was able to capture the treasury there. The majority of his army was then sent to Persopolis, which was the ceremonial capital of Persia via the Persian royal road. Alexander himself, led a select group of troops to the city by a direct route, and then he took control of the Persian gates, which had been blocked by a Persian army under Ariobarzanes, before making his way to Persopolis to prevent the garrison from looting the treasury. Although the number of casualties from the Battle of the Persian Gate remains unknown, historians W. Heckel and Stein suggest it was one of Alexander's costliest engagements in his campaign to conquer Persia. Some accounts state that Ariobarzanes and his men were trapped, but instead of surrendering, they charged straight into the Macedonian lines. While one account reports that Ariobarzanes was killed in the last charge, another version suggests that he escaped to the north and later surrendered to Alexander with his companions. Maybe we'll never know. When historian J. Prevas argues that Ariobarzanes and his forces 
retreated to Persepolis, where they found the city gates closed by a person called Tiridates, who was a Persian noble who had been in secret contact with Alexander at the time. Tiridates allowed Alexander to massacre Ariobarzanes and his troops outside the city walls rather than fight. Curtius's account agrees that the Persian force retreated to Persepolis but were denied entry into the capital. So they returned to fight Alexander's army to the death. I suppose they had little choice. The Battle of the Persian Gate is regarded by some historians as the most significant challenge to Alexander's conquest of Persia. Another one, Michael Wood, another historian, has described the battle as decisive, while A.B. Bosworth refers to it as a complete and decisive victory for Alexander. Okay. So upon entering Persepolis, Alexander permitted his soldiers to pillage the city for several days. He remained in Persepolis for five months, during which a fire broke out in the eastern palace of Xerxes I and eventually consumed the rest of the city. Now the cause of the fire is uncertain, but some speculate it could have been a drunken mishap or intentional retaliation for Xerxes burning of the Acropolis of Athens during the Second Persian War, we don't know. And according to accounts by Plutarch and Diodorus, Alexander's companion, the Heteratheus incited and started the fire. However, as he witnessed the destruction of the city, Alexander immediately regretted his decision. Plutarch also reports that he directed his men to extinguish the flames but by that point, they had already consumed most of the city. Curtius asserts that Alexander did not feel remorse until the following morning. It's a little bit too late, I think. But Plutarch also recounts an anecdote in which Alexander speaks to a fallen statue of Xerxes as if it were alive. And he states, Shall I pass by? and leave you lying there because of the expeditions you led against Greece? Or shall I set you up again because of your magnanimity and your virtues in other respects? Next week, we'll be diving into the incredible journey of Alexander and his army as they ventured into India and the ultimate end of Alexander the Great. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you in the next episode.